Our text this week from the book of Genesis, primarily out of chapter 20. Not all out of chapter 20, actually. So our topic this week is Abraham and Abimelech, or maybe better pronounced Avimelech. And if we're going to pronounce Avimelech as Avimelech, maybe we should have been pronouncing Abraham as Avraham. But we've been doing Abraham all along, so I think we'll keep with that for this, for this week. All right, so going to verse 1. Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Avimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Now the timing of this is really interesting because not long prior to this, God met with Abraham and told him that within a year's time, he's going to come back and visit them again, and Sarah is going to have a son through Abraham. And so uh, somewhere, you know, they need nine months <laughs> for conceiving and having the child, so it only gives a very small window uh, for, for Sarah to be able to conceive. And here, sometime, a very short time, uh, after that conversation and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sarah is taken by this other man to be his wife, right? So either she's already pregnant, impregnated uh, by Abraham, or she risks the chance of becoming pregnant with this guy and not being back with Abraham. So uh, so must have been a very uh, trying experience after 25 years of waiting and waiting and waiting and getting this, not only the promise, they've had the promise, but getting a specific date promise of when they're going to have the child and more details of exactly how it's going to be, that it's going to be not only just through Abraham, but through Abraham and Sarah, and, and uh, so this anticipation coming. And then here uh, they go and blow it in this way and allow this to happen. Now we can you know, fault Abraham for, for doing this, uh, especially in light that he did it before with Pharaoh. But on the other hand, Pharaoh was about 20 or more years ago. And so, you know, hey, you know, you forget. And, you know, uh, we're going to fault everybody every 20 years. They do do something wrong. Um, and, uh, and so also, uh, it seems that this had been the practice, as we'll see from the text. And it's worked pretty good, uh, other than with Pharaoh. And, uh, and now this time with uh, Avimelech, that... Uh, that the leader of that tribe or nation or whoever they were in contact with decided to, to take uh, Sarah as wife. But I would think certainly at this point, again, it's one thing, you know, to say she's my sister, because she is, it's technically true. Um, but, uh, but when it gets to the point of the, of the leader, the pharaoh, or here, uh, the king of, of Gear, uh, actually going forth and making a move to take him as wife, Abraham should have stood up and said, whoa, 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 whoa there's more to the story here. Uh, let me tell you the rest of the story. You can't have her. Uh, she's mine. And if you want to kill me, well, you know, that's up to you. But, uh, but uh, she is my wife. And God promised us a child uh, in less than a year from now. So hands off. Uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything. And so Avimelech takes her as, as his uh, wife. And so that's the setting that this uh, account is taking place. And we might even wonder, why on earth is this story in the Bible? Well, we're going to get to that, hopefully. Okay, verse 3. But God came to Avimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So God here now jumps in and interposes and... Uh, 
mediates here, which he doesn't always do. I mean, as we read the Bible over and over again and in our own lives and in lives of many people, we see very, very few times where God actually jumps into the situation, takes things in his old hands, own, own hands and, and stops and averts um, uh, evil from happening. Um, most often he seems to take what was horrible and work it out together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, but here, in order to fulfill his promise and, uh, and bring about his will, he specifically stopped, steps in here in a dream uh, to Abimelech. Verse 4, Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. He's saying, I'm innocent. It was an unknown mistake. It was unknown sin. I didn't know. I didn't realize. Now, of course, now that it's known, he'd be held accountable for his actions moving forward. Verse 6, and God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Right? So again, he winked at the ignorance, unknown sin, but now that it's become known, he's saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. If you try and move ahead with this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to die, and, uh, and that'll be it. And so God says, I have withheld you from doing this. God kept him, and God acknowledges, yes, you didn't know, integrity of your heart, you did this. And then he refers to Abraham as a prophet, prophet of God. How have our lives and our words and our actions reflected on God at times? as it comes known and should be known that we serve the living God and then for people to find out in spite of that, mistakes that we have made, times that we have moved by fear instead of by principle. Verse 8, Avimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing and the men were very much afraid. So he didn't waste any time. As soon as he wakes up, he gathers everyone together. You got to hear this dream I had last night. And they become terrified. Oh, no, we're going to get wiped out. So they all believed. They all believed the dream. They all believed in this Lord God that he would punish them for the wrong. And they became afraid as well. So verse 9, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you? that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? So right away he gets on the phone and he calls Abraham because texting is a horrible method of communication. So he didn't bother texting. He wanted to talk this through. And so he calls him, calls Abraham and says, what were you thinking? 
What's up with this? Four different ways he rebukes him. <laughs> You've done this, it shouldn't, and no one should even do anything like this. You're a prophet, you're a godly man, and you've done this. No one. This should not have been done, this type of thing that no one should do. What did I do wrong? What did I do to offend you that you bring this curse upon me? That you bring this sin upon me? Why? As you can imagine how low Abraham should have felt at this point with this type of rebuke. Abraham said, because I thought... Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. It came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother." So again, this has been working pretty good for 25 years. This has been the plan. And again, so far, this is only the second time that anyone's thought to take her as wife. And they came in contact with lots of people. We have lots of different nations that are mentioned that Abraham came in contact with. And uh, no doubt there were many, many others uh, in the land of Canaan and even on the travels. And so, uh, again, it's worked good thus far, but still a lame excuse because again, when it became, got to the point of Pharaoh and now Avimelech wanting to take her as wife, Abraham should have stepped forward, even at the risk of his life. But here, the whole plot from the beginning was to do him, for him, not for Sarah. Tough luck on you, Sarah. Have you become a part of the Pharaoh's harem? You know, tough luck on you. Um, but uh, at least I'll live and, uh, you know, have a good life. <laughs> and... and uh, and I'll go on. So, oh, total selfish on, on Abraham's part. It comes up with this lame, lame excuse. Verse 14. Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. It's interesting. He says, I've given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. <laughs> Let's say to your husband. <laughs> He's got to shove it in her face. <laughs> you said it, she's your brother. Well, I'm giving it to your brother. Right? I'm not even going to acknowledge him as your husband because you didn't acknowledge him as, as your husband. And so I'm not going to either. And uh, so really just kind of a, a rebuke in and of itself, even just in the wording. And then giving gifts to them, uh, sheep and oxen and servants and silver. And at the end there where it says, and this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody, thus she was rebuked. Uh, the translation of that is interesting. It's very different in different Bibles. Um, and so it seems that the, the, the wording in Hebrew is uh, a little hard to understand, a little hard to interpret. So some uh, don't have rebuke there at all. Some just have vindicate. Uh, some have where it says vindicate uh, that here in this text, that it uh, shall be a veil over your eyes or a covering over you. And so it can be interpreted in various different ways. But really, 
any way it's looked at, she is being rebuked for the wrong that she participated in it and also going along with it. And, though the, and the, she's also vindicated in a sense because it was really Abraham's uh, sin initially. And she was just obeying him and going along with him. And so she's vindicated in a sense and, and then she's you know, paid, to, given back and no harm done to her and, and uh, no expense taken from her, but actually gifts given to her. And so kind of like, again, this keeping coals on top, being good to the ones who wronged him. And so I've vindicated you, I've, I've uh, cleared you, and yet I'm also rebuking you. Uh, kind of a covering over you. Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Avimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Avimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so Abraham prays, as God told Avimelech that he would do, he's a prophet, he'll pray for you, and so God has him pray for Avimelech, and you can imagine how how uh, humiliating that must have been for Abraham uh, to have to pray for the one that he wronged and that kind of rebuke over him, receiving these gifts that he doesn't deserve. And here he is, a professed prophet. Maybe Avimelech even mentioned that uh, to Abraham. God in the dream told me, you're a prophet, so you have to pray for me. And, uh, and so here with the rebuke upon him and the gifts given to him, uh, here he is now praying for healing and blessing upon the one who he said, I didn't think God was in this place. I didn't think you feared the Lord. And here he is praying for him. So kind of an interesting story. So again, why is it in the Bible? Why on earth did we really need to know that Abraham blew it again? We already had the first experience. It's just about learning from their faults. But we already learned that lesson from when, with Pharaoh 20 years prior. We really needed it again. Do we need every detail every time Abraham or anyone flipped, uh, you know, falls, we need the details of it. You know, is it really necessary? And uh, there might be probably many or more times, otherwise the Bible would be much, much bigger if it included every single time uh, that they, they messed up or every little detail. And, uh, and in and of itself, face value, not a whole lot of redeeming. I mean, what's the lesson? You know, you do wrong and you get silver and gold and, <laughs> or silver here in this case and, and, uh, and gifts. Uh, what's, what's the lesson here for us? And most importantly, not only what is the lesson for us, but where's the gospel? Right? That's what we've seen over and over again. The gospel is in every chapter. The gospel is in every story. The gospel is throughout the Bible. So where is the gospel in this story? Where is God's love? Where is God's grace? Where is the Messiah? Where is the death, burial, and resurrection? Where is it in this story? Well, the name Avimelech, right? Av, what does Av mean? Anyone know what Av means? We have Avraham. Why is he called Avraham? Father, right? So Av is father, right? Avi, when you add E as a suffix onto the word, my, my father, and Melech. We sing that in a lot of songs here. Um, Avinu Malkenu, that has both in it, has Av in it, and has 
Melech, Melkino, version of Melech, Melech. King, very good, right? So my father is king. So who has the king or their father? Yeshua. So let's see how Avimelech prefigures the Messiah. Not that he was the Messiah, it's not necessarily a pre-incarnate. This is a real story, and so it doesn't mismatch in every aspect of it, because again, it was just a real account. It was a historical account that took place. But let's look at how just as, at times, Abraham, just as Moses, just as David, and various people in the Bible, prefigured in ways the Messiah, how does Avimelech in this story prefigure the one whose father is king? God said, you are dead for taking her. Yeshua died for taking us into himself, for embracing us, for marrying us, for marrying humanity, for taking us on as his family. He died. You are dead for taking her. That's what God said to him. Didn't say you're going to die if you do. You are dead for taking her. Abimelech said, in innocence I have done this. Was tempted in all ways as we are, bore the sins of the world, became sin for us, yet did not sin had no record of sin. Satan had no foothold in him. Total innocence on his part. Yet bore our sins, took us onto himself, and died as a punishment for those sins. God said, I also withheld you from sinning. Was the power of the Holy Spirit that kept Yeshua from sinning through his life. Abraham will pray for you. Yeshua asked his disciples, pray for me. Can't you pray for me for an hour? Asked his disciples, intercede for me on my behalf. Abimelech said, you have done these things that should not have been done. Through Yeshua's righteous life, he gives us words of rebuke. Through his own finger, he wrote the Ten Commandments on stone to show us right for wrong, so that we know what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Abimelech gives a, rebu a rebuke, a correction. Those whom I love, he says, I rebuke and chasten. Abraham gives a lame excuse. Well, there's us. <laughs> so we give our lame excuses to God. Well, I did this because, and it was because of them, and because of that, and it was their fault, and these circumstances, and poor me. Abimelech gives clean animals and servants as a gift. Yeshua became the clean animals. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And he's given himself for us. 
as a sacrifice for us, dying for us, the sin bearer for us, the atonement for us, the substitute in our behalf. He gives to us. Avimelech gave. Even though he was the one that was wronged, he gave. Even though Yeshua is the one who's wronged, he gives to us. And he became a servant to us. He washed the disciples' feet. He comes to serve us. He comes to, um, not as a king, but as the lowest of the low, to serve in our behalf, to help us, to succor us, to meet our needs, to lift us up, to encourage us, to be our example, to show us the way, to work in our behalf. He is our servant, King of kings, Lord of lords. Not robbery to be equal with God. Humbled himself and became flesh. And not just any flesh. Down to a servant, lowest for us. Bond servant for us. Abimelech gives gifts, vindicating and rebuking Sarah. It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. God gives goodness, not because we deserve it. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not after we came to him, not after we apologized, not after we demonstrate some love to him. While we are still enemies of his, he gives gifts unto us. And in giving gifts unto us, he vindicates us, covers our sins, washes them away, forgives us, cleanses us, atones for us, makes us right before God, and also at the same time rebukes us. We love him only because he first loved us. Avimelech was healed and had children. Yeshua, who received the deadly wound, who died and was buried away, has been healed and resurrected into newness of life. And as a result of that, through his suffering, many have been blessed. Through his death, salvation has gone out to all people, been offered to all people. As a result of his death and resurrection, there will be people in the kingdom of heaven. He has paid the price. He has paved the way for us to be able to be in heaven. Because he lives, we also shall live. Because he was healed, he will have children unto the Father, children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. He has children unto God because of his great sacrifice in our behalf. Isn't that amazing? Yes. All these various different ways? Yes. Praise God. So that's where the gospel is, right in this story of a few verses, kind of a strange story. It's kind of stuck in there in the middle. And so then now, where's the application? That's also important. 
Right? So in every message, in every chapter, what is the historical content? What is the, where's the gospel? And what is the application? So what is the application? Well, God wants to be our king. He wants to be our father. He wants to rule in our lives. He wants to direct in our lives. He wants to bless us. He wants to lead us. And he adopts us as his children so that we also can say, Ave Melech, our father is king. Because of Yeshua's death, we died in him. We can accept our death in him, death to self, death to the carnal nature. We no longer I that lives, but Messiah liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself, who loved me, and gave himself for me. Not us. We're dead. They can't hurt us. We're dead. Self is dead. We are already dead in Messiah. Believe that. Believe that. In innocence, God can keep us innocent. God can keep us from sinning. He overlooks our unknown sins, sins that we didn't realize. Then he also holds us accountable when we do know. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's able to resurrect in us new hearts and new lives to keep us innocent, to keep us from sinning. Each morning as we start our day, if we pray, Lord, take a hold of my life, take a hold of my words, my mouth, my facial expressions, my thoughts, my attitudes, I surrender them to you. Send heavenly angels, send your Holy Spirit, fill me and keep me from sinning. God will hear that prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He will do that. He will keep you from sinning unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He will have us pray for others, intercede on other people's behalf, not only praying for ourselves, oh Lord, help me, oh Lord, work for me, oh Lord, do this, do that for me, 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 but we will pray and intercede for others. And Yeshua is already interceding and praying for us. At all times, he's before the Father's throne, interceding for us. And we can have other people pray for us as well. We can invite other people to pray. And join together, united in prayer. We're two or more gathered together in agreement in his name, praying together. Where you have done these things that you should not have done, God calls us to live lives in such a way that we can share with other people and correct other people, show them right from wrong, lead them into God's word, lead them in the way everlasting, lead them in the right way, lead them to the Ten Commandments, and show them right from wrong. Not to go along with their sins, not to go along with their confusion, not to go along with, with their uh, stupidity, really, uh, but to correct, to rebuke, to teach, and to teach truth, gently and in love. Gave clean animals and servants. God wants us to, he wants to give us gifts and talents and abilities, and he has already given to everyone a measure of faith and, and 
various gifts and talents to be used in his service, used as his hands, used in helping others, using our feet and taking the gospel and going forth and ministering to others and being helping hands to others and lifting others up as servants of others. Not to rule over them, but to serve one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And he wants to make us living sacrifices for him as well. That our lives are a sweet aroma unto him. That our lives are sacrificed in his behalf. That he makes us servants and, and uh, temples of his Holy Spirit. Calls us to vindicate others, stand in behalf of others, to help others. And again, in love and not waiting for them to ask forgiveness, but to love them in spite of them, even those who've wronged us, to love them anyway and do good unto those that have despitefully used us and abused us, do good anyway. Pour gifts out anyway. Help out others anyway. Not because they deserve it. Not because of what they can do back for us but to love them anyway, to help them anyway, as Abimelech did unto Abraham. And then that in and of itself is a rebuke. As the Bible says, heaping coals of fire on their head by being good to them, by being nice to them. Not returning evil for evil, but good for evil. And God is able to heal us. No matter what our past, no matter what our situation, he's able to resurrect in us new lives and make all things new, change us, transform us, change, uh, uh, give us love for those things we hated and hatred for those things we love. Total change, total healing, healing of mind and heart and soul, healing us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Healing us. Not giving us a spirit of fear, as Abraham had, but a spirit of power. Spirit of love. Spirit of sound mind. Claim those promises. We can claim those. Those are ours because God's word says so. You're going to have to do it minute by minute, second by second. God, I claim that promise. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, fear be gone. It's not from God. In the name of Yeshua, I claim the power of God, the authority of God, the love of God to love those who've done me wrong, the power to forgive them for what they did. And I claim the sound mind. Let this mind be in me that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Heal me of the sins. Remove the sins from me. Kill them and bury them in the depths of the tomb. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Heal me. Resurrect in me a new life. Bring me forth. Hey, that's what the whole immersion symbolism is. Dead to self, alive unto God. New life. All things have become new. All things have become changed. New life. Victorious life. And then through the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, that we, build, uh, that we bear children unto God. That there will be people in the kingdom of heaven as a result of our lives. As a result of the troubles that we go through, 
as a result of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, as a result of God using us to love those who despitefully abused us, as a result of God using us as servants unto others, as a result of God making our lives living sacrifices for him, other people come in contact with him. And there will be people in the kingdom of heaven as a result of God working and living through us. And so God wants to fulfill this in our lives as well. And he's able. And we'll do it as we allow him to. And so that's the, some of the applications for ourselves as well. And so as we prepare to pray in a moment, if any of these areas apply to you, that we just discussed and went over, let God work in your life. Maybe you've made mistakes in the past, and this story is reminding you of times when you haven't been openly honest with everybody, and you want to ask God to forgive you and cleanse you. Times when you needed to speak up and didn't. Maybe times when God's revealing to you where you have moved out of fear instead of out by principle. Then, moment we pray, ask God to forgive you and cleanse you. Maybe there's an area in your life that God's convicting you, you haven't accepted as dead in Messiah, some sin area that's still alive, and you want to surrender that to Him and acknowledge it as dead. Buried in the tomb, has no right over you anymore. There's someone God's bringing to your mind that He's calling you to pray for. In a moment when we pray, lift them up before the Lord in the house of the Lord. God's revealing there's been things that you did that you should not have done. And confess them, be forgiven, be cleansed. If you've been giving God lame excuses for your actions, Oh, I don't have a choice, and all the pressure, and the peer pressure, and this and that, and all these other excuses. You want to stop with the excuses and surrender to God and let God take over and allow God to keep you from sinning. Allow him to work in you and through you. And surrender that and let God do his work. There's some area of service God's convicting you of. Maybe you've just been serving yourself and God's calling you to serve others. Maybe there's someone else you need to help. Sometimes the greatest way we grow, the greatest way we get healed, is by helping others who are more in need than us. And the moment we pray, Lord, show me. Open up a door for me to help someone, to minister to someone, to serve you, to be a living sacrifice for you, to be a living demonstration for you. And give me the Holy Spirit to follow through with it and the grace and the power to do so. Sometimes it comes in very interesting ways. You say, Lord, make me a servant. And he says, go clean that toilet for someone. No, give me something else to do. I didn't want to do that. I was thinking maybe, you know, bring some flowers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so is God who's willing to surrender and become sacrifices for him and servants for him. Not doing our will, but his will. And there's some area in your life that's needing healing. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, 
financially. Surrender that to God. Give it over to God. Lay it at his feet. Claim his promise. He'll meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. And then believe by faith he has. Not by sight. Not by what we think we need, but what he's promised. Accept it by faith. Accept his healing in your life. And if, like with Paul, my grace is sufficient, I give you the ability to live with that issue, that problem, and accept his power and his grace to do so. And again, go forth and witness for him. Build up the kingdom of heaven with more children of God. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area, maybe you're thankful to be able to see God, Yeshua, manifested in this account, and appreciate him even more so as a result. And we, you can praise him and thank him for being all those things for us, for willing to leave heaven and come down here to this earth, willing and innocent to bear our sins and die for us, willing to become a servant of servants, willing to be that sacrifice, that lamb for us. If you want to thank him for calling you his children, for redeeming you, for vindicating you, for buying you, for paying you, for being good to you. We didn't deserve it. If you want to thank him in a moment, you can thank him and praise him for giving gifts unto man, giving gifts unto you that we don't deserve. Life, anything, everything we have. We can thank him because we don't deserve anything. So in all things, be thankful. So if any of those areas apply to you, let's pray. Let God work. Lord God, we do praise you and we do thank you. You have been wonderfully great to each one of us. Above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Above and beyond all that we deserve. We thank you for loving us and first loving us. For leaving heaven and coming here for us. And coming to redeem us. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you for becoming our servant. Thank you for becoming our sacrifice. Thank you for purchasing us. Thank you for vindicating us. Thank you for rebuking us. Thank you for correcting us. Thank you for taking us into yourself. Thank you for dying as a result of that. Fill us with your spirit. Live in us and through us. And use us in building up your kingdom. Heal us. Resurrect in us new hearts, new minds, new lives. And send us forth, interceding and praying for others and ministering to others. And keep us from sinning. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.